listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host is Cindy Johnson, Operations Manager of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. Today, we're returning to the subject of using living history performances in service to lighthouses. A few episodes ago, we presented an interview with actor Joseph Smith, who does a one-man living history show where he portrays Augustin Fresnel, the inventor of the Fresnel Lighthouse Lens. His performances have inspired people at lighthouse-related events around the country in recent years. Living history performances are utilized at many museums and lighthouses. At some lighthouses, costumed staff or docents greet visitors dressed in period lighthouse service uniforms. But few light stations have utilized the concept of living history to the extent that Burnt Island Light Station in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine does. That's right. The Maine Department of Marine Resources acquired the Burnt Island Light Station in 1998 as part of the Maine Lights Program, under which more than 20 historic light station properties were transferred. Education Director Elaine Jones and hundreds of volunteers transformed Burnt Island into a publicly accessible facility, and in 2003, an educational program called the Burnt Island Living Lighthouse opened to the public. Burnt Island's Restored Keeper's House serves as a living history museum where interpreters in period costume portray a historic lighthouse family. Visitors arrive by tour boat from Booth Bay Harbor and disembark at the island, where they learn about life on the island from keeper Joseph Muse, his wife Annie, and their children as they recount their daily activities and share their stories of joy, sorrow, dedication, and survival. Katie Bryden started playing the role of one of the daughters of Keeper Joseph Muse at Burnt Island while she was a drama major at Emerson College in Boston. A few years later, she and her husband played the Keeper and his wife for a while. Today, Katie is the National Director of Programs for Best Buddies International, a nonprofit organization that consists of volunteers who create opportunities for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. I plan to interview Elaine Jones, the director of the Burnt Island Living Lighthouse, for a future episode of Lighthearted. But in December, I had an opportunity to speak with Katie Bryden, who spent several summers as a living history interpreter at Burnt Island. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am on the phone with Katie Bryden. Thank you so much for joining me, Katie. I I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Excited. So, Katie, first of all, if you could uh, tell us a little bit about how did you uh, first get involved with the Living History Program at Birds Island? Sure, Jeremy. So, I grew up in the same town as Elaine Jones, who's the Marine Education Director for the Maine State Aquarium and the Burnt Island Lighthouse. And as she was crafting this program and really developing a living history program on Burnt Island, uh, she was in search of some actors to portray the children that lived on the island. I grew up with her daughter. I performed in many plays with her daughter. And so she approached me about developing the living history program with her and then portraying some of the children. I was the year before I actually left for college. 
um, and I was planning to study acting. So I thought this was a perfect fit to sort of connect my love of Maine, my uh, history with Elaine and the islands of Maine, and my, my goal of acting all in one. Right. And you studied acting at Emerson College, is that right? That is correct. My my alma mater, we have that in common. <laughs> I went there just a little bit before you. I won't say how many years, but or how many decades before you. But uh, yeah, and it, actually, Emerson College was in a totally different part of Boston back when I went there. But I know it's constantly changing. Yeah, I was just there. Exciting that was, to see, but it's a different world. Yeah, I was just uh, just in Boston last week, actually, and and was in the uh, area of uh, Emerson College, the new Emerson College, which is totally the whole new. Yeah, yeah, exactly. totally different from when I was there. But anyway, so how long did you end up being an interpreter at Burnt Island? I was able to perform every summer throughout college. I had my last summer there performing the year of two thousand six. Um, um, and I was a part of it when we actually opened the Living History Tour in 2003. And then uh, I actually came back to the island and was able to fill in some time during uh, other people's summer vacations and serve as different characters and different roles in the summers of 2008 and 2009. So I did spend quite a few years on the yeah. island. Um, and because I, I technically did a lot of growing, um, you know, during that time, I was able to portray the children, the younger sister, the older sister, the mother. Um, and it was a really great time and a really neat opportunity to, to try out those different roles and get to know those different, uh, those different people that, that actually lived on the island. That's great. So it sounds like it was a very positive experience for you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I would, I would say it was life-changing. You know, in, my, in my time now, in my career and, and in interviews and team meetings, you know, people will ask me, you know, what was the most uh, empower, empowering professional experience that you've had? And I always reference the, the, my time with Burnt Island and my time during the, doing the Living History program there. Um, it was such a unique opportunity for all of us that were involved from the beginning to be able to do the research and design and craft this really unique program from scratch. And it had this really neat um, mix of data collection, you know, scrolling through the microfiche at the library and going into the newspaper archives, but also meeting with so many of the people that actually participated or lived on the island and, you know, were alive during that time um, and had stories and testimonies and anecdotes. So it was this neat time to be able to take this data and this research and sort of this objective pieces and weave it together into this sort of story of these people who lived on this island before electricity and fairies. And it was really a collaborative and exploratory experience for me. And, and it really helped empower me as a professional. It helped me learn new skills. Uh, and it also helped me to meet some of the, the most interesting people that I've ever met in the world, too, all in this obvious gorgeous setting of Burnt Island in Booth Bay Harbor during the summer in Maine, which really can't, in my opinion, uh, get any better. So <laughs> it was really neat. It was a really, uh, yeah, positive experience. I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. So how did how did the visitors respond to these these presentations when you were there? Uh, was, they were always fantastic. It's, it's nerve-wracking. Um, 
we would be on the island and then there would be this ferry coming over with people and we'd try to count how many people would be on and then sort of try to guess how they would interact um, with us when they got onto the island. Because as soon as people came off the ferry, they really entered um, this historical space where it was um, a different time period. There wasn't electricity. There wasn't uh, there wasn't even a ferry at that time, you know, that we were supposed to assume that they just rode up um, to, the, to the island on their boat. And, of course, there were individuals that loved the sort of challenge of trying to trip us up historically and ask us questions about present day that we had to act, um, you know, very ignorant towards. I don't know what you're talking about. or cell phone. That's a funny word. Um, but there were also uh, the majority of individuals that came onto the island because we were portraying the 1950s, um, even though it, it seemed much older than that, just given um, the the state of the lighthouse and the, and the actual home during that time, you know, collecting the well water for baths, all this stuff that felt very 19th century. It actually was the 1950s. So a lot of the people that came onto the island had memories of growing up in the 1950s. It felt very um, reminiscent and nostalgic for them to see the board games that we had laid out, the paper dolls, our collection of S&H green stamps, <laughs> um, the clothes and the washboards. People loved seeing that and loved resonating with, resonating with that and loved talking to us about that. So people had such a positive experience when they were on the island because it also connected them to the history of the lighthouse. Yeah, I remember a lot of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I was alive in the 1950s, I have to admit. Uh, so uh, I know there was a, an optional walking tour that was offered as part of the, the tours at, at Burnt Island. So how that that's a pretty unique thing. How did that add to the experience for people? I think what was really neat about that, and, and again, you know, just the, the living history that we portrayed as a whole on Burnt Island is that when you came onto the island, you were broken up into small groups and you went with one person the entire time throughout the actual living history space. It wasn't something that you could go on your own and walk through the kitchen and maybe ask a question of the person in there. You were actually brought and introduced to these characters by someone that was guiding you. So you had to interact. You had to, to learn about them and connect with them. And then they invited you to actually go on a walk around the island um, and get to see the flora and the fauna and um, hear the stories of what the children would do, where they would go swimming, you know, where they thought, you know, the house across, um, you know, the, the harbor was haunted and what they thought of the house there. And um, some of those real anecdotes that connected the people that were on the island participating in the program to the stories and the humans in a really um, comfortable way because they were on the island for a number of hours, but they actually spent a lot of time with a, one person that was either portraying one of the children or a parent. And so we were able to show them um, a lot of the island and personally connect with them during that time, um, which I thought, you know, and at least in my own experience, going to other living history programs and just being allowed to walk around freely while there is a lot of comfort in that you're not put out of your comfort zone when you're on your own doing what you want. You actually, I think, gain so much more through an experience when you are with an actual tour guide who's portraying one of the characters and they can walk you through these different areas specifically and answer questions and hand you the crabs that they found that morning <laughs> um, to explore and look at. It was a really 
neat mixture of science and history, which I also thought was uh, really unique and really special and obviously a testament to uh, the fact that Vern Island is a part of the <laughs> Maine State Aquarium and, you know, the Department of Marine Resources um, and being able to really talk about the the lobster boat industry. We actually did a, um, we would have two lobster traps where we would talk about what fishing, lobster fishing was like in the 1950s versus now. And just being able to see the two traps even juxtaposed next to each other, the the real, you know, growth of the industry, the real improvements, trapping, um, the, the rules and regulations that exist now. It was a lot of science, but I think that people love being able to walk away with that information and that knowledge and better understand the community that they're that they're visiting well you know you've kind of uh, partially answered my my next question already in in everything you're saying but what do you think is the the overall value of living history at a historic site like burnt island to me i think that the value of a living history um at a place like burnt island specifically is that uh People, I think, are so intrigued by lighthouses. Lighthouses are always portrayed as so mysterious and kind of spooky. They're sort of this object on a, you know, rock in the middle of the ocean. Um, and I think that that brings, that captivates a lot of people. A lot of people don't, I think, realize that they're actually homes. They're actually places where children grow up and children play and, you know, parents, make a family uh, and being able to take sort of an isolating and entrancing object like a like a lighthouse and bring it to life in a way that you know it's it's people playing games and doing chores it really helps them connect I think a Mm -hmm. lot of people that came onto the site of Burnt Island connected and and felt like now I have a better understanding of lighthouses now it's not just some you know um, nautical you know thing that helps boats, but it's actually a homestead and and I know how it operates and I know who's responsible for it. And I have stories and I have pictures in my vacation albums of being there and being a part of it and knowing the stories that I can now speak to like it was my own experience, which I think brings um, a historical site like Burnt Island or really any of the lighthouses that might, you know, be left to deteriorate or just seem as this really like dramatic, romantic, beautiful thing that we don't actually connect with. Uh, it brings it into people's hearts and into their own memories. And um, I think that that really helps with the preservation. It helps with the ongoing interest. It helps with the support of um, lighthouses in general, just being able to connect those human stories. Sure. Very well said. It, it makes it more more personal, but you, you said it really, mm-hmm. re- yeah. really, yeah. really nicely. So were you able to do research about the, the person or persons? You portrayed uh, multiple people over the, the years you were there. Were you able to actually research the people you portrayed? Yes. Yeah. Not only were we able to do the research in terms of, like I said before, going to the library, um, you know, the Department of Marine Resources has a, a really fantastic library itself that has a lot of great resources from that time, uh, but also being able to find actual articles in the newspaper about the families from that time and being able to talk to people in town that knew the family or knew um, of individuals that either had been friends with the family at that time. So there was, it was actually pretty easy to, to do the research and connect personally with the family that we were portraying. 
And I understand you actually get to meet one of the daughters of uh, Keeper, Joseph Muse. That must have been mm-hmm. great for you to have that opportunity. <laughs> it was great. It was um, it was intimidating. <laughs> it was so intimidating because these individuals that you're, you feel like all the research that you've been doing and the people you've been talking about them, it feels like you're creating a story. And then you meet these individuals who are real people. And, and, and definitely these, these daughters of Joseph News, yes, you know, they, they, to me, had a really interesting life, being able to grow up on a lighthouse with their father. They um, lived on several different lighthouses during his career. Um, and they had a really, they had so many funny, interesting stories about what that was like, but in no means did they feel like they were the type of people that had actors portraying their life. Uh, you know, they were very down to earth and, and very sort of salt of the earth people too. So they were sort of like, what are you doing <laughs> in my life? And I wanted to do it justice and I wanted to, to obviously make sure that they felt comfortable and happy uh, with the individuals that were portraying them. So that in of itself is really intimidating. But I think there was sort of this shared, <laughs> shared experience of it being new and different for both of us, but obviously fantastic because they gave us so much more insight and so much more information and, and being able to see too, because we portrayed the siblings at a younger age. And obviously uh, with all siblings, you know, they're squabbling and bickering and to be able to even see that uh, when they were older, <laughs> that chemistry that existed between them and the way that they interacted to be able to sort of build that into our characters was really uh, great and fun. Somebody told me that that someone once recognized you as the keeper's daughter yes, uh, in a yes. situation that was a little bit, <laughs> little bit out of context. So out of context. So I have portrayed Prudy Muse for many years on the island. It's just a middle daughter. And I, like I said, would do this over the summers, and then I would go back to college at Emerson in Boston, which felt, you know, lifetime away from Burn Island and Bay Harbor. And it was parents' weekend, and I was actually washing my hands in one of the restrooms, and this lady at the sink next to me looked in the mirror at my reflection and said, Prudy, is that you? <laughs> and I was like, no. And then, and then it took me a minute, like, oh, my, oh my gosh, yes, actually. Did you come to the island this summer? Um, and so she said yes, that her whole family had taken a trip and how much they loved it. And what a small world. Uh, it just sort of was out of sight, out of mind for me. It definitely took me a minute to realize who she was talking about. But it was really, it was really neat. It was really funny. And very strange. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Would you have any recommendations for other lighthouse organizations that might want to develop living history programs? You know, I love this this whole idea, and I've been involved with lighthouse organizations for a long time, and I've been involved in a little bit of this kind of thing, but not anywhere near this extent. And mm-hmm. I recently interviewed Joseph Smith, who portrays Augustin Fresnel, the inventor of the Fresnel lens. And mm-hmm. his show is just fantastic and really inspires people. And the Burnt Island program mm-hmm. is, is just, a, I think, a model for this kind of thing. So this, these things are inspiring me. And uh, I think this is intriguing, the idea of developing this at more places. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about that. Just yeah. any... any any recommendations for other groups sure. thinking about this kind of thing? Uh, my first recommendation would be do it. Please, 
do it. It would, you know, I think like we talked about earlier, being able to bring lighthouses um, to people to make them feel like they can connect with them and understand them and see them as, uh, like I said, more than just this stoic object, but something that they have a personal connection to, something that um, they can remember in their own memories and their own, you know, vacations. Um, it, it gets more people with a vested interest in lighthouse preservation and supporting lighthouses in general. Uh, and my recommendation when designing it would be to actually base it off of a family or person. Uh, I think a lot of living history programs sort of say, okay, this is a time period, and then it will just be this sort of amalgamation of the time. You'll just be, you know, random character A, and you'll be here, and you'll be sweeping, and if people have questions, talk to them, but that's about it, versus actually having names and the history and based on real experiences and real stories and being able to take someone through a day in the life on the island or a day in the life of the the lighthouse, you know, all those stories that I can say, oh, this is, you know, our oil house and it's filled with whale oil. And that's interesting. And, and okay, that, that, I, I'm, that might stick in my mind. But to be able to say, oh, this is where daddy comes and he gets the actual whale oil and it has to be super careful that it doesn't get too cold or it'll, you know, be all gloppy. And one time I dropped it and he got so mad because he didn't have enough for the light to keep running. And that, I think, keeps people more... Uh, it sticks in their minds more. It makes it more relatable to them. And, and then they'll have a story to tell uh, someone else. And, and it really helps to, to grow and expand um, what lighthouses do uh, for their communities and for safety and, and for all of the, the obvious reasons that they exist, but also how they really help families and um, communities sort of rally around them. So I think that instead of having it be a, a history program that might just um, share a time period, being at, able to share actual uh, families and people and portray their experiences. I would recommend that route. Sounds good to me. So, are you doing any acting these days? You know, Jeremy, I'm, I'm not as much anymore. I have three young children and, and I travel for my, my work, so I haven't had the opportunity to really commit to a, a script in a show, but it's something that... Um, I, I would love to reconnect with. And I sometimes feel too, as a mom, you're always sort of asking, <laughs> right? Well, it sounds like you're plenty busy enough, but I hope you're, you're mm -hmm. you still uh, keep uh, acting yeah. in your, in your future for sure. I do too. Tell us please, what is Best Buddies International? Mm -hmm. This is the, the job that I love and the job that keeps me so busy. Uh, Best Buddies International is a, it's a global nonprofit that actually provides social opportunities, supported employment, integrated leadership development, and independent living for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So how this works is that we create friendships in schools between the general education students and their peers in special education. And with these one-to-one -one friendships, we um, plan activities and foster opportunities for the students to connect and understand and have a mutually enriching experience. And then we continue to support these individuals with disabilities through um, education on advocacy, how to secure a job. Uh, we have a, a full supported employment program that fully integrates people with disabilities into high paying competitive jobs. Uh, and then um, have a living program that provides uh, independent living opportunities. 
So this is my 14th year with the organization. I work in our, uh, specifically our friendship programs, designing uh, the curriculum and the training resources um, all over the world for our actual program to succeed in elementary through college programs and then adult volunteer experiences. But so every day I do get that same opportunity to be creative and, and sort of mesh the, the data and the research of, you know, what is actually important in inclusive environments with the stories of individuals that have had really incredible experiences, meeting new friends and creating a really solid bond between themselves and someone um, uh, with a differing ability. And so I, I still get to use those same skills and I still get to, to travel a lot and see our, our mission in action, which I obviously love very much. That is fantastic. It really sounds like what you have done in the past and what you're doing now is all about creating connections between people. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's good. I, yes, you're right. That is true. <laughs> Definitely. <Absolutely. laughs> yeah. So keep up the good work and uh, congratulations on on everything uh, you've you've done and continue to do. And thank you so much for spending some time with me today and your insights on. Your work at, at Burnt Island are very valuable, and I'd yes. like love to see more of this kind of thing going on at lighthouses. And you know, mm -hmm. uh, I might have to talk to some of the the groups I'm involved with about this sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let me know how I can help because I agree it's it's such a fantastic experience and opportunity, and something that's really valuable. So yeah, well, I you... agree, and I, I appreciate the time to be able to talk about it. it it's just so important to me. It's actually my husband and I got married on Burnt Island. Oh. Um, we, we, yeah, yeah. He, so we, um, in those summers that I visited, he came with me. I made him betray. He's not an actor at all. I made him betray the father a few times. So we definitely have a, a huge soft spot for Burnt Island um, and, and all the things that it can, it can share with the world and how it brings people together. So I agree with you. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk about it and, and would love the opportunity to, to help in any way kind of bring this to life in more places. Well, again, thank you so much. Thank you. I have to say I really enjoyed my conversations with both Katie Bryden and Joseph Smith about living history presentations related to lighthouses. It's an interesting subject, and it's interesting to think about how lighthouse organizations can utilize this kind of thing to raise the quality of the experience for visitors. Thanks again to our guest, Katie Bryden, former Living History Interpreter at Burnt Island Light Station. To learn more about the Burnt Island Living Lighthouse, go to the official State of Maine website at maine.gov. In the search box, enter Lighthouse and click Search. You'll get all kinds of information about Burnt Island. There's also a nonprofit organization called the Keepers of Burnt Island Light. Its mission is to support the restoration, preservation, and maintenance of Burnt Island and its historic buildings. To learn more, go to keepersofburntislandlight.com. As you heard, Katie Bryden works for a nonprofit organization called Best Buddies International, which works to enhance the lives of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. To learn more about that, visit www.bestbuddies.org. 
Thanks to Jeff Gales, Maria Cornelius, Rich Gales, Tom Tag, and all the staff, board members, volunteers, and members of the U.S. Lighthouse Society in Washington State and around the world. Be sure to go to uslhs.org to learn all about what's offered by the U.S. Lighthouse Society, including the domestic and international tours. One of the exciting tours that's coming up soon is South Carolina and Georgia, April 18th to the 26th. The tour starts and ends in Charleston, South Carolina, and travels to Savannah, Georgia with 14 lighthouses, including the famous Tybee Island, St. Simons, and Morris Island lighthouses. And coming up May 20th to June 4th is an international tour to Sicily and Malta with the chance to view 30 lighthouses, to dine on the best Italian food in the world, and to visit many archaeological sites and museums. I can tell you from personal experience that the U.S. Lighthouse Society tours do a fantastic job of including local culture and history along with the lighthouses. Again, to learn more about these and other upcoming tours, go to uslhs.org and click Tours. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it by becoming a member of the U.S. Lighthouse Society or by making a donation. If you work to preserve lighthouses or maritime history, thank you. We are all on the same team, and what you do matters and is appreciated. Keep up the good work. If you work or volunteer for a lighthouse, a light ship, or a maritime museum, we'd love to hear from you. Why do you do what you do? What do you love about your lighthouse? We recently heard from Jill Orr, who volunteers as a board member for the White Shoal Light Historical Preservation Society in Michigan. Cindy, could you read the statement Jill sent us? I'd be happy to. Here's what she wrote. I raised my hand to volunteer in the summer of 2018 when I discovered White Shoal's new Facebook page and recognized what a great opportunity it would be to become involved at the starting point of a restoration project. I had previously been a volunteer keeper at St. Helena Island during the summers of 2015 to 2017, which is how I became familiar with the location of White Shoal. I actually live in Wisconsin, and I'm not a Michigander, yet. It is in my plans to move to Michigan to be closer to our restoration team and project. I absolutely love my involvement with White Shoal and all the challenges restoring an offshore lighthouse brings with it. On January 1st, 2019, we boldly announced our intention to open the doors of White Shoal to the public in the summer before starting the major restoration work. This would be the first time in the light's history that the public would have such an opportunity to come aboard to view and tour the structure. It was a monumental task to make White Shoal accessible and livable for staff, volunteers, visitors, and overnight guests after the building was abandoned since 1976 when the light was automated. We would only have two months to accomplish this work before the first tour boat would arrive in mid-July. This opportunity to volunteer has allowed me to be involved in many support aspects of restoration, as well as developing collaborative relationships within the community. I see the potential in this project to reach out to the younger generations to hopefully spark their interest in maritime history, as well as restoration and preservation of lighthouses. We are also building relationships with former Coast Guardsmen to reconstruct our history and to aid in our restoration to a 1950s vintage structure. We have two master's degree students assisting us and consulting with us from a standpoint of public history as well as collecting and archiving records for our future on-site library and museum. 
It is so gratifying to see the community interest in our project. As one of our Facebook page administrators, I hope to inform, educate, and entertain on our Facebook page. It has served as a great platform for us to find our great volunteer base, to seek financial and material donations, and to share our restoration progress and the restoration challenges of being an offshore light on one of the great lakes where we have a limited window of accessibility and mid-fly season and ever-changing weather to contend with. We monitor wind and wave conditions continuously and communicate between the mainland and the light station whenever a boat is scheduled to come out to make sure it is safe to do so. Any and all supplies we need must arrive by boat and be safely offloaded. The same is true for trash and waste, which is why we look for opportunities to reuse, repurpose, and recycle materials. In 2020, we are celebrating White Shoals 110th anniversary. It is such an honor to volunteer in the restoration and preservation of this iconic and historic Michigan lighthouse. It has given me an opportunity to step away from my career as a pharmacist to pursue a greater purpose and provide a new legacy building direction in my life. Thanks so much to Jill Orr for sending us that statement about why she volunteers. We plan to do more on this podcast about White Shoal Lighthouse in Michigan in the not-too-distant future. Again, if you work or volunteer at a lighthouse, we want to hear from you. You can write to me at jeremy at uslhs.org. Let me know why you think working or volunteering to preserve lighthouses or maritime history is important. We'd like to include your comments in this podcast. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. That does it for episode 49 of Lighthearted. I'm gonna let it shine. As always, Thank you for listening and I'm gonna let it shine. Keep a good light. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine.